in the workbook. We're going to have a prayer um, in just a moment. And Rick, would you mind leading us out in just a second, if you don't mind, sir? Before we do that, I just want to just say a word of commendation to the class, just how wonderful you've been. This is um, definitely not an easy thing to teach because it's so rich and it's coming from Jesus. It's coming from God himself, but you've just been fantastic with your comments and your attitude. You always come prepared. you got your workbooks, your Bibles, and I just I think I speak for Rick also when I say that uh, you've been a fantastic class so far, and I, we appreciate it. Brother Rick, if you don't mind, sir. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, this day grateful, Father, for the opportunity we have to be before you to give you all honor and praise. Father, we thank you for this study that we are embarked on um, that contains a message that is timeless, it's applicable to all the world. It is so rich when you realize, Father, it's the foundation of everything that Jesus taught and instructed his disciples and is applicable to even to us today. Let us see the depth, the richness that's contained therein in this hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Okay, so we go to Matthew chapter 5. Nice if I could get there first. Matthew 5, verse 20. Matthew 5, 20 says, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. For the last few classes, we've been considering the explanation that Jesus gives for this particular verse right here. We've been considering what it means to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We've learned so far that unlike the scribes and the Pharisees uh, who had a quote-unquote righteousness that was hypocritical and it was full of self-righteousness and merely external, meaning they cared more about what men thought instead of what God thought. Instead of having that kind of righteousness, Jesus says he expects his people, true disciples, to be genuine. To be humble, to be truly devoted to God first in their hearts. We have seen this past class that in addition to not unjustly, or in addition to unjustly, taking someone's life, which is murder. Jesus doesn't even want us to have the emotion that leads up to the murder. Do you see that? He's trying to start at the source. Yes, murder is wrong. And the scribes and Pharisees taught that because the law taught that. But they missed the heart aspect. It wasn't just about the emotion part. God also doesn't want you to have the emotion that can lead to murder. He wants us to get rid of the anger towards a brother. Get rid of hostility. Get rid of bitterness, insults, jealousy. Anything that may be in your heart that's caused you to have bad feelings towards someone, a brother or a sister, a co-worker, a family member, get that out. Whatever feelings you have is coming from the devil. When that stuff starts to infiltrate your heart and put all kinds of ugliness in your heart, Jesus says before you go worship God, First, go and make it right with your, with your brother. Reconcile to your brother. 
Reconcile with your brother before you go worship God. Jesus, as we kind of just say a few things more about that text real, real quick. Going back to that section we studied on Wednesday, Jesus mentioned the altar there, right? Remember there? He mentioned the altar. I think that's verse, is Don, is that verse 22? Am I right about that? Is that 22, Matthew 5, 22? He mentions the altar there. Again, let me get my Bible. 23, 23 forgive him. Verse 23. He mentions the altar there. Where was the altar for the Jews? Where was the altar? The altar was where? For sacrifice. It's in Jerusalem, temple. It's at the temple. It's at the temple. Where is Jesus preaching this from? Is he in Jerusalem? Where is he at? Galilee. He's in Galilee. How far is Galilee from how far is Jerusalem from Galilee? It's about seventy five miles. This is a time we don't have cars. Okay? It's about seventy five miles. When you understand that, that makes this even more powerful. The Jews travel at least three times a year to make sacrifices at the altar. This was a big thing for them. This was part of their worship to God. And here, in the immediate context, Jesus is telling them that if you leave from Galilee and go 75 miles up, high elevation, up to Jerusalem, you, you leave Galilee, you leave Capernaum. Okay? Let's say you live in Capernaum. You leave Capernaum, you go all the way to Jerusalem. Alright? No car. You travel on foot, on a, on a camel, whatever. You go all the way up to Jerusalem. It takes a long time to get there. And you get all the way to the altar. And you remember when you get there that you got something against your brother. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to offer that on the altar? According to Jesus? He said, turn around and go back to Galilee. Turn around and go all the way back to Galilee and work it out with your brother. Then you come back again 75 miles. Go up to Jerusalem to the altar to worship God. Do you see how challenging that is? We can't overlook that. Galilee is not close to Jerusalem and the altar is only in Jerusalem. If you're in Galilee and you go all the way to Jerusalem to worship God, remember you got something against a brother. Jesus said, don't you let that fester in your heart. Don't you let that boil over in your heart. Don't you offer this sacrifice think God's going to be pleased with it. No, you better leave from where you're at and you go back all the way to Galilee and make it right. Jesus is saying here you can't substitute going to church with reconciliation. You can't substitute going to church with reconciliation. This is a serious matter to God. It's so serious that in verse 22, he mentions hell there. The fiery hell. This can cost you your soul. It can send you to hell. It can destroy your heart. And if we've learned anything from this sermon so far, we've learned the heart matters. The heart matters to God. Imagine these Pharisees, and I was talking to Rick about this on, on Wednesday. We were talking about this a little bit. Imagine being a Pharisee or, or, or a scribe and you're in this audience of thousands of people and you're hearing Jesus say, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of these guys, you can't be saved. How do you think they felt about that? No chance. <laughs> and if I was then, I'd been boiling. I'd be like, who is this 32, 31-year-old kid trying to tell me something? I mean, don't forget, Jesus, he's 31. We know he's God, but they don't believe he's God. He's a 31-year-old kid in their minds. And they're probably 60, 70 years old. And he's saying, you got to be better than us. If you're going to be saved, give me a break. We're not, who is this guy? When you see this and understand what's going on here, you can't help but think about how they had a lot of anger. And their anger in due time is going to lead them to doing what to Jesus? Orchestrating all this to get him crucified. 
You see that? It's, it's starting right now. And Jesus had the courage to rebuke them in front of thousands of people right to their, right to their face. And so anger, anger starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. But so does this next part. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about this a little bit. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard, verse 27, that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman... Now notice how he says looks at a woman here. Not a man. There's a reason I'm saying that. We know that's wrong too. But I'm, I'm making a point here that you'll see later about how Jesus is acknowledging who struggles with this more. Okay? Whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So again, Jesus is acknowledging the reality of hell. Jesus preached a lot about hell, but there's more going on here than that. Again, we find this repetitive device. You have heard that it was said. You have heard the rabbis teach this. You heard them teach. You shall not commit adultery. When the rabbis say you shall not commit adultery, were they right about that? Yes. That is what the law taught. The law taught don't cheat on your spouse. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit fornication. They were teaching right when they taught the people that, but the problem was that's all they taught the people. While they had no problem condemning the physical act of adultery, they did not condemn lust. They did not condemn lusting after someone who is not your spouse. They did not condemn looking at a woman with unlawful, and I emphasize the word unlawful, unlawful sexual desire. So, Jesus says that is wrong too. By a show of hands, let me ask you this question. In 2022, is what Jesus condemning here, is that a problem? Raise your hand if you think that's a problem in our society. <laughs> yes! We all know it's a problem. Why is it a problem? Because it's everywhere. We live in a culture that is saturated and immersed with all kinds of sexual immorality. It's all over the TV. I mean, we're, we're at a point now... You know, where when we have the TV on at our house, we got to make sure it's always on a kid's station whenever we walk out the room. And sometimes you got to be careful with that because if you just leave it on even ABC or Fox, there's no telling what commercials going to pop up, right? I mean, it's crazy. It's on the TV. Sport events. You know, we go to Suns games and every time out, guess what you got to wrestle with? The women come out and what are they doing? They're half not even half-dressed, and they're dancing up a storm. Don't think that's, that's not a temptation for the men there in that arena. What about the Super Bowl halftime show? You can't watch Super Bowl halftime show today without seeing this. And what about just looking at the magazine racks while you're standing in line to check out at the grocery store? It's everywhere. And don't get me started on the Internet. I mean, the Internet is a big deal. Uh, there's, some, there's a statistic I saw not too long ago uh, that said three out of four teenage boy, boys, and maybe even higher than that, have all uh, been introduced at least one time to, to pornography. Teenage boys. And don't think it doesn't come into the church. Don't think that not even in assemblies like we're at, there are not men and women who don't struggle 
the lust. This is a problem. This is a problem for men more than it is for women. And let's just be honest about it. I know, you know, somebody can say, well, I think women struggle with it too. Well, they do. Their struggle is more from reading the novels and things like that. But men struggle with this more. And you know why? And, and women have a hard time getting this, but it's how God made men. He made them visual. Women are more emotional. Men are very visual. Men are like a light switch. They just turn on and off just like that. And men really struggle with this. And Jesus knows that's why he's saying you look upon a woman. With lust, Jesus acknowledges this. And so what are some, and here's a question in your book, question one. You know, when you think about our society and the struggle that people have with this, particularly men, what are some of the excuses that, that people have to try to justify lusting, looking and lusting after others? Does somebody have a good answer you can share with us to start us off here? Let's kind of go through this fast. Yes, Andy, then Nicole. Uh, it's the woman's fault because of the way she's dressed. Oh, blame the woman. <laughs> yeah. I didn't write that one down because I didn't want to get in trouble. But, so, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. but that, is, that is one in. I've heard that one many times. She shouldn't be dressed like that. Um, and this can go the other way where sometimes women will say, well, I should be dressed however I want. And men should be able to overcome that. You see? So it goes both ways. Uh, that's a good one, Andy. Nicole. I was going to piggyback on his and say, well, she walked into my field of vision. Oh, uh, she walked, I she walked, walked by me. Yeah, she walked she, by me. And let's, let's talk about that just a little bit. I'm going to come to you, Michelle. Is it realistic to say, to say that we're never going to come across this kind of stuff? I mean, you go to Disney World, you go to Disneyland, you go into the grocery store, you go to a game... You're going to see this. It happens. And that's not the sin. The sin is not if I happen to see this when I'm at a game. The sin is when I gaze on it. In fact, one scholar already said that Jesus here is talking about that second look. The first look is not the sin. It's the, the gate. what David did. Remember? David just, you know, he happens to see that. But where did the sin come in? When he starts... Desiring. Desiring it, and he's gazing at it. That's where the problem is. It's unrealistic to say we're never going to come across this stuff. We are, we, especially in our society, but what are we going to do after we get the first look? That's the question. And that's the challenging part. Michelle, yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm not acting on it. I'm not acting on it. I'm not act, I'm just looking. In fact, I even wrote down, look but not touch. Mm -hmm. It's okay to look but not touch, right? Mm -hmm. That's That's one... That's what we hear a lot. I wrote down, I can't help it. I can't help it. You know, a lot of men say that. You know, I'm a man. I'm a visual person. I can't, I can't help what I do. Somebody else had their hand up. Mike, was that you, sir? Did, you have your, did somebody else have their hand up? I thought I saw somebody else. Anybody else got? Yes. But it's not hurting anyone. I, I wrote that one down. I'm not hurting anyone. Especially when it comes to pornography. I'm in the prophecy of my own home. I'm not hurting anybody. Um, Nobody knows what I'm doing. That's definitely hurting people because it's all about human trafficking and many of the women and people who are being used as a tool for, aren't even, it's not even something that they want to do yes. or that they're even a part of and it's really, really bad. That's an excellent comment. It's like you problem. were like paying, you were investing your money and stuff into, Yes. You know, um, and, and, and without any acknowledgement of what these people are going through. 
That's such a great point. And I've heard that before. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, someone else had a comment. Yes. A couple more. Go ahead. Right? I'm only human. I'm only <laughs> And that kind of goes back to I can't help it. <laughs> when really, we're, you know, when, we people say, <clears throat> when people say that, they're saying they're kind of like animals. You know, you know, you have, God made us with the ability to make choices. But so often, we try to use our humanity to say, oh, I can't help it. I can't make choices when it comes to this. Yes, John? Um, not to go against it, but, um, you know, when for the married couple, you know, when that's not, when you do that, perform that act, how is that honoring your spouse? That's exactly right. That's a great point. And it actually betrays the marriage. And men who do that against their wives, they need to repent. And they need to repent to their wives. Because of the sin against their wife. And the other, it's the other way around too. And I know that makes people squirm sometimes, but that's a fact. And, and it's not honoring the marriage. That's absolutely right. One more comment, then we're going to move on. Ryan. Self-control. Don't have any. Don't have self-control. And that's what it all boils down to. That's exactly right. Great point. Anybody else? Don't. Go ahead, sir. I don't want to overlook you. When you look at the fashion industry and the way the fashion industry has pushed things, I have been from Baltimore, the area that's set up for the diplomatic corps to entertain visitors that you don't want to know what goes on there. And I have been to Bangkok, Thailand, and a lot of places. I didn't think anything could shock me, you know, beyond what I had already been exposed to. But I was in Sydney, Australia during the time when the miniskirt was the fashion. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to perform the acts of Leviticus 18. They were in there committed by the fashion industry and the women that bought those clothes. And now I live on a corner with a high school in one end and a middle school in the other with elementary on down behind. And just sit there in the afternoon and watch the kids walking back and forth. Mm -hmm. And the fashion that those kids are wearing you know, it wasn't allowed in the Sears Roebuck catalog back when I was a kid. And you know, teaching children modesty starts early. I mean, we're trying to teach faith that now. It starts very early. Um, and, and yeah. Somebody, did somebody, yes, Rick. I, I was going to say, just going to a clothing store, I've been appalled recently how little girls attire that you can buy. I mean, the shorts. It's hard to dress, it's hard to find to dress daughters. At, at, at very young age, and I, yeah. it, it's, ugh. Yes, I don't get it. And it's only gonna it's only gonna get worse. So I think we will all agree that this is a big problem for us. It was a problem in Jesus' time. I mean, a lot of the temples, the pagan temples, a lot of their pagan worship involved immorality and forms of pornography. And what Jesus is saying here is, it matters what we look at. It doesn't just matter what we do with the physical act. It matters what we look at. It matters how we guard our eyes. And this goes to question two. This matters because a failure to guard our eyes can lead to lust in our hearts, which is a sin. But not just lust in our hearts, it can lead to more than that. There are numerous examples of this in the Bible. The first woman, Eve, where did that forbidden, when she ate the forbidden uh, fruit, it started with, John says, or the scripture says in Genesis, I'm sorry, that it began with her looking at the tree that it was desirable. It was desirable to her eyes. That's where it started with the lust. So that's lusting. That's not after a human there. That's lusting after still something she doesn't have a right to have. You understand that? That's what happened with Eve and David. We just brought up David how his downward spiral, the adultery and the murder all started with lust. 
That second look. And then remember what John says, all that is in the world is what? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's it. That's it. So, like in the case of anger, Jesus is raising the bar. He is saying that it's not just, it's not good enough, going back to anger, it's not good enough to say, well, you know what, you know what, I did pretty good today as a Christian. I was so mad at my boss, but I didn't kill him. I didn't shoot him. I didn't stab him. That's not good enough. Jesus says you got to get that anger out too. So just like it's not good enough to, when it comes to anger, it's also not good enough to go home and say, well, you know what? I didn't cheat on my spouse today. I didn't have sex with anyone. I didn't have physical contact with anyone, but I did go to websites I wasn't supposed to go to. I did undress women on my job. I looked them up and down and dressing them with my eyes. I did go to church and I looked at a sister and thought about inappropriate things towards my sister. I did sit on the beach and look at all the women in the bikinis and have all kinds of imagination, imaginative things going on in my mind. Jesus says not enough just to not commit the physical act of adultery. The lust is wrong too. The looking at things we're not supposed to look at, that's wrong too. Ryan and then, and then Rick after that. I want to mention Job 31. The covenant with my eyes. Where I was going to go. I, when I gave well, a lot of You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you, Rick. No, no, that's great. I, I, I wanted to, because this is not a new yes. piece, you know, and I was exactly. surprised to see this in Job. Just, I'll read verses 1 through 12. This is what Job said. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood, or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales, that God may know my integrity. If my step is turned from the way, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. Yet let my harvest be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another, and let others bow down to her. For that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. For that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. Perfect. And Job here is talking about integrity. You know, his friends had accused him of being a wicked, terrible sinner. And Job says he was a man of integrity. He didn't look upon a virgin with lust. He made a covenant. I like that language. A covenant with his eyes. This goes back to what y'all were saying, how people say we don't have the ability to choose. Job says he made a choice. Made a covenant with his eyes. Yes, Dave. Yes, sir. In James 1, 14 to 15, yeah. it talks about we all have our own lusts. But you have to be careful not to let that lust develop the sin. Now there's a gap there. There's a difference there from the lust to the sin. Yes. And when you put that in context to your own life, we all have things that we're attracted to. We might not be attracted to the same physical thing, but we're attracted to something else. Yes. But what we have to do is we have to keep a lid on that so it doesn't go too far. Dave, what you're saying there is right on the money. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. 
He's trying to cut this off early. Do you see that? If David had heard this teaching or had saw this in the Scripture, he wouldn't have got as far as he did. His life wouldn't have been as messed up as it became. So go back to verse 28 because we need to move here. Verse 28. Jesus calls this, this kind of sin that the Pharisees and scribes didn't teach on. He calls it adultery of the heart. Do you see that? That language is very important, okay? Very important. This is a form of adultery. Adultery of the heart. Now I want to say this, and if you disagree, we can talk about it in private because I don't want to get into a debate here. But this is not the same kind of adultery or immorality that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 19, 9. It is not. In Matthew 19 and verse 9, Jesus says you can put your spouse away for sexual immorality. When you look up the language of that, particularly in the Greek, and Dunham's more of an expert on this than I am, there he's talking about something very specific. Simply put, he's talking about physical contact. That's what that's talking about there. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen preachers get into debates about this, particularly with women who don't like that. But it's the truth. Now, it is... Is lusting after someone who's not your spouse a sin? Yes. Is it wicked? Yes. Will it get you sent to hell? Yes. Is it reason to put your spouse away according to God? No. No, it's not. It is not. So, I just got to make that distinction. Matthew 19, 9 is different than Matthew 5, 28 as far as the kind of adultery. Jesus is talking about adultery of the heart here. Not the same Matthew 19, 9. Yes, sir. So I don't want to interrupt. No, please. This is important. And, and I, that's why I want to say something about this. Yes. We have to understand there's a difference here between these two ideas about uh, adultery. Yes. Because there's a lot of misconception and misteaching in the church today. And it's wreaking havoc with, uh, with people, and especially young people. Yes. They get caught in this loop. Yes. And they don't, really don't know which way to go or how to turn. It's, it could cause problems. So be careful with this. Brother Dave, I care from hearing a shepherd say this is very valuable and I appreciate you saying that because I know of women in the church who say I can put my husband away for this and then you go marry another you know what you've really done you fall into the devil's trap you're an adult you're the one in adultery now you're the one in adultery now study the text carefully study the language carefully again Sean Jeffries is not saying lusting after others is right I'm not going against Jesus but I'm also not going to say that what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 28 is ground for divorce and remarriage. It's not. It's just not. Brother Dunn, yes, sir. You're getting into a big discussion right here. The difference between the destruction of the spirit and the destruction of the flesh. And the contamination of the flesh is the touchy-feely. The destruction of the spirit is the thought process. I love it. I'm glad you brought that up because if you want more information on this, go home today and read 1 Corinthians 6. Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 talks about the body. And there he's talking about the physical body. And he talks about, and I think Paul has really given us some good information as to why God allows divorce for the physical contact. Because it's a man and a woman becoming one, and they don't have a right to become one. See, I have a right to become one with my wife sexually. I don't have a right to become one with any other woman. And when I do that, I'm becoming one, according to what Paul says, with a harlot. It's you becoming one body. You understand that? And that's what Jesus condemns and says is, is gives an innocent person a right to put their spouse away in remarriage because the oneness has been broken. I, I have a question about Yes. So, I mean, 
like obviously within the context of this they are not living now with um and they would have no idea how horrible and what things are going on like virtually and stuff like that so i mean i think that you have to like I think that's that a good in the point. context too i, I think like, that's a good point but i will <laughs> still say this if you're doing like i mean because like if somebody's being sexual with like another person and they're like basically cheating on their spouse but through like a virtual environment that would i don't know i feel like that would have to be in the and that's a dicey adultery. subject i will say this though because that's i think that's worthy of discussion not right now but i think it is worthy of discussion i will say that they may not have known about the stuff we're doing but god did God could definitely look 2,000 years ahead of the game. But I feel like when he was talking to people in this context, like, it wouldn't, these, this sort of, like, adultery of the heart, it really wouldn't be something that the wife would even know about. Maybe. Necessarily, because he would be, that would be something, his thought process in his head, like, that's something that's going on with him inside, so you could hide that all the time for years. And, and, and if he doesn't repent... And he no. repent to his wife, he's going to be lost. Yeah, there'd be like no evidence of that. He so. needs to repent. Yeah. He needs to repent to his wife. If he doesn't, that's not good. I will say this, though. They, if he does repent for lusting, like the truth is, if men are being honest about it, most men struggle with that. At least once. Yeah. She has no right to put him away and marry another. Yeah. And that's so the point. Mine, mine was yeah. talking about more of like... Um, what I'm more talking about is that is like someone who, for example, is addicted to pornography yes. or is looking for like sexual relations relationships with women online yeah. or virtually speaking. Like they're yeah. like, oh, I mean, to claim like if a spouse is doing that to his wife and to claim like, oh, I didn't touch her, like now, or I'm, something I'm that would there's be. There's a like, problem, and I think there's there's <laughs> some problem. I mean, what you're saying, Allison, is you're taking it out of the heart at that point. Yeah. yeah. So you're taking action exactly. on it. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that would happen. You've made it. Well, that's where first one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it gets real dicey when you bring the virtual side into it, but we need to talk about it because it's what we all live with. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you are taking that, and you're making like a physical action out of that. You might not be touching that person. But there's still a connection there. There's a yeah. connection there. You've that's taken true. it far from the heart. You yeah. have. Does that go back to James 1, though? Yes. As far as letting it, I need to get, well, yes. yeah, so. letting it get back into committing the act, right? The, the, doing something. And here's the thing. This will all be so simple if we just will commit it to our spouses. Mm -hmm. Just be committed to your spouse. But the problem is that this is a problem and it's going to get more complicated. And it's going to be difficult for shepherds as they sit down with people and counsel people on this. So what I'm going to do, what I recommend we all do, we need to pray about this. We need to pray hard about this. This is serious and I promise you there are men even in our congregation and women who struggle with this. It's a real struggle. And, and it's something that needs to be prayed about. I can't take too many more comments. i got to get moving here. Mike, you had your hand up a while. And then, and then John. Let me come back all of that up with uh, <coughs> Ephesians 5.28. Husband ought to love his wife. Yes. It says that's his own body. I'm not even going to go there. Right. You ought to love your wife. So where does that come from? So you've talked about it, physical and emotional. Yes. What is love? It's a physical? No, it's emotional. Yes. And then the act of love, <coughs> the action of love is physical. But first it starts in your heart. Yes. You, you are fully devoted to the person you love. Yes. No, that's wonderful, Mike. And, and, you, and if you start with that, if you do sin, you just sin. If you 
conceive it and keep going, then it's a problem because your heart is broken. And Jesus is talking about you want to know what your heart should look like. This is what it should look yes, like. Yes, talking about this is about the heart. Let's not forget that this is all about the heart. It's about how we are in our hearts. Yes. Go ahead, John. Then I'm gonna get. I gotta get moving here. I was just gonna emphasize what you mentioned earlier, and that is that mm, so many things, so many things influence us in our society. Not just social media, TV, books, yes. entertainment. Yes. All of these things, I, I mentioned to a friend I was talking to, it was about TV shows. They said, you know, how come how come homosexuality is so accepted in our society? Wow, look at all of the yep. look at all the sitcoms that were on, and all and everybody they just make it like, well, it's nothing. Well, and the movies, oh. You know, I, I would say this as we move on from this point. That, that's good thoughts there, Joan. This shows me how important it is for a man and woman. To really work at their sexual relationship, a husband and a wife. That's something that needs to never die. It needs to never die. That is, it is a beautiful thing that God has created for a husband and a wife. Sex is not bad when kept in its proper place. And that's the marriage bed. And so it is so important that a husband and a wife keep that attraction to each other. And let's not say that, you know, we talk about, you know, Inner beauty is the most important thing, and I agree with that, but let's not act like physical beauty is not important, because it is. Isaac, when he saw Rebecca, mm -hmm. she was beautiful to him. That's before he got to know her. And what did, why did Jacob work seven extra years? <laughs> and Abraham knew his wife looked so good that he was lying all over the place because he didn't want them to kill him. There's men, I mean, the Bible, Holy Spirit makes it clear there were some beautiful women in the Bible and there was an attraction there that their husbands had to them and that's important because you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person. You want to be emotionally connected to them but you also want to be physically connected to them. That's very important and, and God made it that way. Okay, so we talked about the seriousness of this adultery of the heart. Y'all make excellent comments. I love them. How do we deal with this? Well, Jesus says it takes a radical action. Radical action. Verses 29 through 30, going back to Matthew chapter 5, 29 through 30, he talks about if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. He says your right hand, verse 30, makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. Is Jesus being literal there? I mean, do I need to literally cut my hands off, pluck my eyes out? Is that what Jesus is saying there? No, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not talking in a literal sense here. Instead, he's talking figuratively. He's talking about the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of lust. He is saying that this sin, and any sin, is so serious, and hell is so awful, that whatever you got to do to get that sin out of your life, or the, or the source of that sin, whatever amputations you need to make, whatever sacrifice you need to make, you need to just make them. Make those amputations. Cut that stuff out. What are some of those amputations? Well, this is something in your workbook. I'm going to go through this real quick. Some of these amputa amputations that you should have put on your book, hopefully, include, maybe I need to get rid of the internet. I don't need the internet to go to heaven. I don't need the internet to be a, a preacher. If, if the internet is my struggle, if I find myself always having to go and browse things I don't need to be looking at, you know what that means? I need to, I need to call CenturyLink and get rid of it. I don't need the internet. That's my amputation. That's my, that's my right eye. 
That's my right hand right there. I might need to get rid of my computer, my iPad. I may not, I may not need an iPad. can't handle having an iPad. I can't handle having an iPhone. I have internet access on my iPhone all the time. My Netflix may have to go. My HBO may have to go. My Showtime may have to go. My social media page, that may have to go. I may can't go to sporting events. I may need to cancel my Sports Illustrated subscription because that swimsuit edition always gets me. Whatever I have to cut out of my life to avoid going to hell and struggling with this, Jesus says, do it. That's the point. Make the amputation. Get rid of these things that are causing you to have a soul that's not right with God. That's the point he's making. And so let me give you these applications, and I'm going to give you the last few minutes, okay? I'll give you the last few minutes. Let me just give you, let me give you four applications here. Number one, what we look at matters. Okay? What we look at matters. Not just what we do physically. That's important. But what I look at matters. What I allow to come into my heart, that matters. In fact, that's the second application. In addition to what we look at mattering, what goes on in my heart matters. What goes on in my heart matters. Lust, unlawful sexual desire, that matters to God. God was dealing with us on the inside. Do you see what God is doing with us? He's doing a spiritual operation on us. He wants us to be people of integrity. So what goes on in my heart matters. Number three, sin is serious. Jesus is teaching that here. I may just do a whole lesson from these two verses, verses uh, 28 and 30 one day. Because that's the point of 29 and 30 of Matthew 5. Is sin is serious. You know, we don't, uh, so often we don't take sin serious. The, the society certainly doesn't take sin serious. Oh, it's no big deal. Like y'all were saying, you just look, not touch, can't control what you do. We make all these excuses and Jesus is saying, there's no excuses for this. Sin is serious. It is so serious that you may have to cut some stuff out of your life. And so I would say that if this is a sin, if this is a sin that anyone is struggling with, male or female, repent. If you've done this against your spouse, sit down and talk to your spouse today. That may be a hard conversation, but it needs to be had. Talk to your spouse and get some help. Get an accountability partner. You struggle with pornography? Get you somebody that you trust who's going to ask you about that every day and you're going to have to tell them the truth. What you been looking at today? You got to tell them the truth. Talk to a shepherd. That's why we have shepherds. There's a good man. They love the Lord. They love people. They'll keep it confidential. Talk to a shepherd. Repent. Get help. You may need some help. You need somebody to hold you accountable. And then finally... God demands we be people of integrity. That's what this is all about. In fact, not just this one, but the next three things the Lord mentions here in this chapter are all about integrity. The oath-keeping, how you treat your enemies and not seeking revenge. This is about integrity. There's not a lot of integrity in our society, is there? There's not a lot of integrity. God wants His people to be people of integrity. We not only do what's right physically, but we have the right stuff going on. In our hearts. So I'll give y'all the last couple of minutes. Ryan, yes sir. I want to mention Joseph. Good. Because, because what happened to him? He turned and he ran. <laughs> Literally fleed in morality. Without clothes. Because and this is a teenage boy doing yes. this. So it can be done. And, and he's his mom and daddy are thousands of miles away. Right. And he still does what's right. So you know why? Because it's hard to right God it, first. When we think it's hard, it can be done. It can be done. Amen. Anybody else?
Yes, they and I'll get you. First Peter two eleven: Avoid fleshly lust that wage against war against us all. You know, when you look at that verse and you look at James 1.14-15, it indicates there's two types of lust. There's a lust that is natural that we have within our hearts that shouldn't develop into sin. And there's a fleshly lust that is bad all the way around. And that's what wars against the soul. And we have to keep ourselves, we can't let our natural lust that we have, my natural desire for my life, for my life it can't go so far that it's for another woman. It becomes unlawful. What is lawful becomes unlawful. Yes. Excellent point, Dave. Wonderful. Yes, ma'am. We're right here, ma'am. And then I'll get you, okay? Well, I think I think it's important to remember that God never asks anything of us that doesn't have a greater purpose than what we can see, right? And anyone who's ever struggled like with addiction knows that enough is never enough. And so just thinking on it, it never stays there. That's the thing, is because we slowly become more and more obsessed with something. You need something else to stimulate you. just isn't enough. And then just doing it by myself isn't enough. And then pretty soon you're... you're you you know, spiral out of control. Exactly. That's such a great point. Mm -hmm. You know, it never starts with just one click. It goes to, to more clicks. And next thing you know, now you're doing what you talked about with the interaction stuff on there. And then you're meeting up with people. And that what happened with David. It spiraled out of control. It led him from it went from lust to adultery to changed history. To, to murder and it impacted his kids later. His kids became unfaithful for the most part because of what he did the example he said. That's that's an excellent point. Yes, ma'am, go right ahead. Um I I think of all the places that he could have um, inserted the statement about severing your own body part, it's it's just really has been always been interesting to me that you start with this, be very careful of this trap. And if you ever were to fall into a similar trap, like, cut your hand off. Like, you, it's very gruesome. And then the next section, because you you are one flesh, and the next section is about severing Marriages. half of your whole flesh. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, no, that, that's, a, that's a great point. The Lord knows us. He knows us. He knows what we struggle with. Let me close with this. Y'all had great points. Okay, so we saw the adultery of the heart part. In the next section, Jesus is going to start taking it to the next level about marriage. This is going to impact marriages. And if we think we're the only culture that doesn't take marriage very seriously and people are quick to get a divorce, make sure you study this because they dealt with this too. These people were just as corrupt when it came to the, to the marriage covenant as we are in our culture. So, Rick, would you mind starting there sure. on Wednesday, sir? We're going to start with Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Great conversation. It's not easy to, to talk about this, especially with women in the room. These are usually discussions that men have alone. But, so thank you, women, for being patient as we went through this because this is some important stuff here. Thank you.